We are now entering the end of our series that we've been going through since the beginning of the year. It's called The Jesus That We Know and Love. Uh, we are going through the book of Luke, to, um, and, and that's the book that we've been using to go through the series. Uh, we're going through this book to learn more about the Jesus, the ones that we sing to, that we talk about, the one that we worship. Uh, Starting from the beginning of Luke, which, you know, it started with the birth of Jesus, and they talk about his genealogy going back all the way to Adam, his uh, ministry as a boy, you know, his Jesus calling his disciples, you know, his three years of ministry leading up to Jerusalem, his unjust, unjust death on the cross. Now we're at, we are at the very last chapter. But before we get to the final chapter, Let's be reminded that throughout the book of Luke, you know, it has taught us a lot about the origin of our faith. The book of Luke has taught, taught us to defend Christianity through practical and historical evidences. And also it helped us to establish a firm historical foundation for our faith and for the gospel. We went through Luke chapter 23 a couple weeks ago. It's about his amazing sacrifice for us on the cross. We talked about his death. We talked about his crucifixion and his burial. And um, chapter 23, as I was preparing for this uh, during the week, chapter 23 would have been the last chapter if, if Jesus was not the Son of God. If Jesus was not who he said he was, if Jesus had just committed one sin, tell, if Jesus would have just told one little white lie while he was on earth, and if Jesus was just a prophet, chapter 23 would have been the last chapter. But Jesus was not just a prophet. You know, Jesus, he lived a sinless and a perfect life. I know it's, it's kind of difficult to comprehend, but he lived a perfect life where he did not commit one little white lie. Um, that was, that was always something that I, I grappled with when I was growing up um, outside of a church and, and not believing in God. It's like, how could someone possibly not tell a little white lie? You know, when they were a kid, wouldn't, wouldn't you tell a little white lie to get a treat? You know, for example, my kid, uh, Jolie, the youngest one, he's eating like probably 20 mints over there. Every time he asked for a mint, it's like, have you had one yet? It's like, well, not really. Even little things like that, you would think, oh, but Jesus, Jesus did not even commit one little white lie. He lived a perfect life. And it's difficult to comprehend, but we understand it needs to be perfect for his death to count for something, for his blood to satisfy the, the sacrifice for us. So anyway, because he was not just a prophet, you know, he lived a sinless and a perfect life. He was who, and more importantly, he was who he said he was. He was the son of God. And thank God for that, right? Because he's, he, Jesus was who he said he was. And he was the son of God who came to be the perfect sacrifice for all people. There is one final chapter, chapter 24. You and I, actually maybe just me, but I think all of us, not just us here, but all people, all people, even for those who do not believe in him and don't know him, all people should be very thankful that there is one more chapter. Chapter 24, or chapter 24 in the book of Luke, or I refer to it, uh, just for me, is a resurrection chapter. Amen. Amen? Amen. So before we get to the resurrection chapter, chapter 24, it's good to be reminded that um, we, 
to get we together as a church family have been going through an incredible journey through this book, the book of Luke. We have learned so much about Jesus. We, um, just a quick review of the things that we've learned. We've learned about his dependence on the Father. We learned about his heart as a servant leader. We, we learned about his power to perform miracles, incredible miracles where he can raise the dead let the blind see, let the lame walk again, and allow the sick to be healed, cast out demons, those who were possessed. Incredible, incredible miracles. It sounds far-fetched, but it's true. And his, we learned about his always constantly prayer life, that he's always praying constantly, all the time. We learned about his love for all people, all people. Rich, poor, tall, short, funny, not so funny, all types of people. Uh, we learn about his, you know, his anger and his impatience with the self-righteous Pharisees and the religious people. We learn about his faithfulness and his obedience to follow, uh, to fulfill the will of the Father. And uh, you know, obviously, we learn about the sac- his sacrifice for his people through his death on the cross. Now, we are at the final chapter of the Gospel of Luke. By the way, the longest book in the New Testament. You guys probably didn't know that when we started going through Luke. But we are, we are at, at what I believe is the actual climax of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus, together with the cross, is the central truth of Christianity, of our faith. Because without it, if I may say, without the resurrection and the cross, there is no such thing as a Christian faith, right? Because Job asked a very astute question in Job uh, 14, Verse 14, if someone dies, will they live again? Only one person can answer that question affirmatively. That is Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ occupies a central place in the New Testament. And it is is mentioned directly over 100 times in the New Testament books. It is the focal point of our faith. So the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be overemphasized. If I can say that again, it cannot be overemphasized. Because without it, there is no Christianity, if I can say that. Maybe that's a little bit too bold for me to say. But without the resurrection, Jesus was not who he said he was. So it is a cornerstone of the things that we believe in, of our faith. And that's extremely important for us to know that and to fully understand it and appreciate it. And uh, Paul wrote that um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 to 20. Um, and, and, you know, before I said that, you know, the, our, our faith and the things that we do and the decisions that we make and how we raise our children and how we parent would be in vain if Luke ended on chapter 23. Because if, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith would be in vain, right? If not for the resurrection. Because uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 to 20. I think I have, yeah. So, it, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, and those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we 
are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. See, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, as Paul said, our preaching and our faith is empty because the object of our faith would not be who he said he was. If, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, the disciples will turn out to be liars, right? Because they're testifying to something that did not happen, the resurrection. If Christ was not raised from the dead, if he wasn't raised from the dead, the forgiveness of sin would not have been granted. Those who die believing Christ would have no hope. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, the hope that we have in Christ will be limited to just this life. Then it would be very, very, we would be the most pitiful people. And that's what Paul is saying. Because if Christ was not raised from the dead, we are believing in something that's made up, something that's not true, there's no power in it. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Yes, he has. And as I said earlier, the resurrection is a cornerstone of our faith. And that cannot be oversized enough. And his teachings were great. His miracles were amazing. But the New Testament testified that without the resurrection, there's no meaningful Christianity. The resurrection means that it's a confirmation of his identity. The resurrection means that it was important to his character because he was who he said he was. He was not a liar. He did not make things up. And it confirms his ministries, which we know that is true because his ministry is when Jesus said, I will build my church. And he's the head of the church. Not me, not any other person. Jesus is the head of the church. And he is interceding for us because we know that he is interceding for us. Because he's alive, he's not dead. And it confirms his message, his message of forgiveness, his message of the good news, and his message of who he was, the son of God, or who he is. You know, an example I like to use is Paul, you know, who was fearless, we know this. And we have historical evidence that Paul actually did live also. Paul, he was fearless in his preaching of Christ. He operated with an incredible supernatural it's so incredible that there were stories, and Luke researched this, and he confirmed it, that his handkerchiefs and aprons were brought to people who were sick and possessed. This is in Acts uh, chapter 19. And those people were cured, or they were healed, and they were no longer sick, and they were no longer, no longer possessed with the evil spirit. That's how incredible he was. And he was operating and preaching with a supernatural because he believed that Christ died, he was buried, Christ was raised, and he appeared. Because he wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, for what I pass on to you of first importance, I don't think I have this up there. Right? Okay, not the verses. For our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appealed to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appealed to me also as to the one abnormally born. So without the resurrection, if I may say, there is no gospel message. So the resurrection is crucial, is the foundation, the cornerstone of who we are and what we believe in and our faith and what we live on. The resurrection is, is also it's unique, if I may say, unique to Christianity. 
I, um, I share a little bit about me growing up, not believing in God. And uh, I actually did a lot of research and study about all the other religions um, because I'm trying to know, are these weak people who's making up, conjuring up uh, uh, an imaginary God so they can find strength in something as a crutch that they can live? Obviously, I was wrong. I would be willing to admit it. I'm not prideful to the point where I wouldn't admit that I was wrong. But you know, what I've learned is no other religious figure has many prophets written about, written about his resurrection years before his birth. No other religious figure has ever spoken of his own resurrection. No other religious figure, and most importantly, had actually accomplished the resurrection, came back alive again. All the other religions are based on a founder who lived in the past and whose legacy is his religion. I will speak to some major religious figures. Muhammad died, remains dead, and still dead. Confucius died, remains dead, and still dead. Buddha died, remains dead, and still dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is both, and more importantly, if I can speak a little bit more details, is the resurrection of Jesus was both physical and spiritual. It was a physical and a spiritual resurrection. Because we know, um, and hopefully, you, if you haven't read Luke 24, you will read Luke 24 in the week to come because we know that Jesus actually appeared in his physical body. He, didn't borrow, he did not borrow someone else's body. It was his own physical body. He ate and he drank with his disciples. That was his way of trying to show the disciples, this is me, this is who I am. It was not only a spiritual resurrection because if it was just a spiritual resurrection, people can always say, well, you have a great imagination. You were just thinking of things. But he appeared in a physical body, in a physical form. So knowing that, you know, for us as Christians, let's not just only spiritualize the resurrection of the dead. Because if the resurrection was only in the spirit, if I may say that it is against what scripture teaches when we read Genesis and Revelations, the book of Revelation talk about a physical heaven, right? For those who read Revelations, it's a very complicated book, by the way. It talked about, uh, and, and scary book, the physical heaven, it talked about the physical bodies, it talked about the physical buildings and, and physical structures. So if the resurrection was only in spirit, we completely miss who God has created for us to be, which is both in the physical and in the spirit. Because when Jesus, well, when Jesus comes back, it could be next week, it could be 200 years from now, when he comes back, or when we die and go to heaven, our physical bodies will be in, 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 in the ultimate peak physical forms. I like to say that, you know, I'm just entering my peak, but... So I, that's why I was smiling when I talked about that. I always tell Vanessa that, you know, I'm going to keep saying it until she believes me, that I'm just entering my peak. But anyway, sorry. Um, I don't know what happened there. Uh, so our physical bodies will be in our ultimate peak physical forms that were created by God, which he deemed that it was very good, not just good. We will have our physical bodies, but not in a form that was be beaten down by age or by bad diet or by stress or physical labors 
or sickness or disease or cancer. It will be in the way that God has created for us to be. You know, of all the things that God has created from the first five days in Genesis, you know, he always, God always ended each day with, it was good. How, the first five days. However, after the sixth day, which was when mankind was created, God said, it was very good. Therefore, what God said, very good, which was mankind, it would not just disappear and go away. So it's a reminder for us to know that our physical, physical resurrection is just as important. So it's important to talk about the resurrection both in the physical and in the spiritual because when God formed mankind, and this was in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it was both in physical and in the spiritual, right? If we remember physical as God took the dust from the ground and formed our body, and then spiritual from this temple as he breathed the breath of life into our bodies and we become who we are. So Jesus' resurrection, the cornerstone and the foundation of our faith was both physical and spiritual. And it's, the reason I say that and I stress it because I feel it's important for us to know the resurrection is one and know the details and also understand the thinking out there because there's a statistics and I want to share with you guys is of all Americans who believe, not that America is a, is a center of everything, but of all Americans who believe in the resurrection of the dead, two thirds believe they will not have a body after resurrection. A non-physical resurrection, if I may say, a non-physical resurrection is like, like a sunless sunrise. Watching the sunrise without the sun at least for me, that's what I feel like, because we know that every fiber within our bodies was uniquely and wonderfully put together by God. We know that from Psalms 139. So he would not do something and suddenly realize, oh, after 100 years or so, you're gonna throw it away. No, we were wonderfully and uniquely put together, every fiber within our bodies. So the resurrection, it is a physical and a spiritual resurrection. And if I can add, um, reincarnation or, or transmigration, uh, this is gonna be a strong term, so if you have questions, we can talk about this after. Uh, I like wishful thinking, and I feel that they're somewhat unquestioned when you think about reincarnation where it's not in the physical form, because both the physical and spiritual are equally important. As God created the entire physical realm, the entire physical world, he created that, and he was pleased with the entire physical realm. So re resurrection, and, and, and it's another point to, to know about the resurrection, it's, it's not about starting over. The resurrection is about renewing, it's about refreshing, it's about restoring what was fallen, what was broken, and that's what the resurrection is. Restoring it back to the original form that was created by God. So when Jesus, that's why Jesus reappeared in the same body when he said, it is I myself. And the disciples real, this, his disciples realized that because he didn't say, I'm using someone else's body, but this is Jesus. He said, it is I myself. He didn't reappear in another body and pretending to be himself, like I said. And we can read that. Uh, we can, and you know, one point to add to that, and I'll move on from here is, you know, we can read in Matthew uh, verse 27, chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, and I, and I feel this is rare, rare, rarely discussed. In Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53, 
this is when after Jesus died and said, and the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appealed to many people. So anyway, it's important for us to know the resurrection as the cornerstone of our faith. But also the resurrection is both physical and spiritual. The resurrection of Jesus is, I feel like, is the ultimate exclamation point to the statement that, I am the son of God. Bam! He came back alive. I am the son of God. What I said was true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Bam! That's what the resurrection is. is it's giving more ump, if you can say. I, I like to use the exclamation point a lot for those who text with me. Vanessa tell me to cut cut it down with the exclamation point, but I feel like to, to stress the point, you gotta put a lot of exclamation points on there. But that's what Jesus was saying, because as he come back alive, he's stressing what he said. I said I was the son of God, here I am, just to let you know. All the things that I taught you, that was true. Here I am, just to remind you. I die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for all people. So yes, here I am, what I said, is true. Um, I, um, as I was sharing this morning, as we were praying, there was like so many things going on in my mind. I am um, uh, preparing for the resurrection. I typically, for those you don't know, uh, I have roughly five and a half to six pages of notes, so that's roughly half an hour. But I actually had almost 10 pages. So I was working through this, I'm struggling to cut it down to see what to share, what to share about the resurrection because I just felt it's such a big, important thing for us to talk to people, for people to know that God is real. God is someone with power, that he can do amazing things that, you, that we don't know and we don't understand, that we can, cannot even comprehend, we cannot even imagine. You know, there's a saying that your imagination is the most powerful thing. Well, our imagination is, is not even, powerful enough to know who God is. And that's why it's, it's for us to, to realize when we say God, not only we talk about the cross, but we talk about the resurrection because that is power. That is the supernatural that no one can actually achieve and no one can do. You know, and, and Christianity, when that was happening, to prove the point, Christianity was not a new age religion or a trendy religion that caught on 2,000 years ago. Otherwise, the disciples would have made themselves look much, much better, much better than they did. For uh, Typically, I kind of go through some of the details in, in a particular chapter that we're going through, but I just felt that it's being that there were 10 pages and I need to cut it down. I didn't want to go through all the different verses, but I just felt a couple of things for us to, to point to, to realize it was not uh, a new age or a trendy thing. If if the disciple was trying to introduce, or Jesus trying to introduce a new, new age religion, they would not use the woman as the first people to share the good news. The first people to come back and tell others that he has risen were women. Back then, culturally, women have, ladies, I would say ladies, ladies have no credibility, period. There's no if, there's no but. The testimonies were not considered as credible in a court of law. I mean, let that sink in for a little. But they were the first one to share the gospel. So if we 
or if they, the disciples, were trying to introduce Christianity as a new religion for people to believe, they would not use that, as the ladies were the first people to share the, the gospel. And the disciples, they made themselves look like fools, right? Being dejected and downcast in disbelief in what just happened. They could not rationalize how could the Messiah for Israel die like a common criminal, common criminal, beaten, whipped, hung on the cross? How could it be? They would have had more faith, right? But they were all dejected. They were all downcast. They couldn't reconcile. Wait a minute, I've seen all these miracles. He was gonna come and save us, but now he's dead. As, as you read through Luke 24, you realize they were, you know, when Jesus appealed to those two people on the road to Emmaus, I think, and they were just like, where have you been? I'm paraphrasing. It's like when Jesus asked him, why are you so downcast? It's like, where have you been? Have you been paying attention? Are you new to Jerusalem? So that's how big the event was. Everyone knew what had happened. And they were so downcast and dejected. So if, so I say all that to say, if Christianity was a, a, a new age or a new made up religion, they would have made themselves a lot, lot better, in much better light. So, but fortunately, fortunately, Jesus Christ is not a trend in religion. It's not a new age thinking. You know, his sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection is the good news. The bestest good news for all people everywhere. The bestest good news for someone who was born here in Chicago, for a little kid that was born in Vietnam, for someone that, I don't think you were born in Peru, but anyway, so someone that was born in Korea, someone that was born in South Africa. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Someone was born in the Philippines, in Mexico. What other countries do we have around here? Argentina, China, who else? Wales, anywhere else? Europe, you name other countries. It's the good news to everyone. That's why it's so awesome. The best is good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for all of our sins, has risen. He has risen. I'm going to end this by saying that, um, well, not just end this now, but I'm ending. I'm ending it now. So all the prophecies about Jesus were incredible. I think we've talked about this. We've gone through this journey together because the prophecy, they are mathematically, mathematically impossible to fulfill. We talked about this. But people can possibly say that, oh, maybe they were made up after the fact, right? His miracles were amazing, but we, we've seen some of those in the Old Testament through various prophets. So his, his teaching was revolutionary, but we can find similar teachings if we look hard enough in various religions throughout the years. However, however, the main thing, there is only one who came back from the dead, both physically and spiritually. The resurrection is a demonstration that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. When we combine all of those things together, you know, his teachings, his miracles, his prophecies, his death on the cross, and the resurrection, we finally, no, I shouldn't say finally, we have someone that is worthy for us to call a God, for us to take time out on a Sunday morning to gather, to sing to him. I'll be honest with you, before I came to know Jesus, I had much better thing I'd rather do on a Sunday morning. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But once I get to know who he is, I realize there is so much more 
whatever I do on a Sunday morning will not compare to the time and the experience that we get together as a family, experience the presence of God and learning more about him, having direct revelation from God through our corporate gathering, through our worship time. Jesus is God. His love for us is too great to understand. His power and his miracles are impossible for science to explain. We know that. It's impossible to explain how someone's dead can be raised up alive. Someone who, who, who's been paralyzed since they were a kid can walk again. It's impossible for science to explain. He is the one true God. He is an awesome God that, that makes my heart ache with the yearning to know more of who he is. Like, who are you? How are you able to do these things? Why do you love me so much that you went through all that you went through? Why is that? Who is that? That I want to know. That I want to live for. Because if I am living for something, which is Jesus, shaping my life, parenting my kids, teaching my kids the things that I know, you want to know more of who Jesus is. And that's, that's why, that, not you, that's why I want to know more of who he is. That's why I yearn more to know who Jesus is. Because he is the only one true God. Let me end with this illustration, I promise, for real. All other religions of faith laid out a blueprint of what people need to do or need to achieve in order to be righteous so they can stand in the presence of a holy God. For Christianity, there's no blueprint. For us to accomplish, there's no blueprint for us to have to achieve before before we can be righteous and stand in the presence of our holy, righteous Father. Jesus, as our God, whom we worship and glorify, he comes to us and meets us where we're at and makes us righteous through his sacrifice on the cross. That's how awesome it is. Because we don't have to, well, I need to train myself for three years, do the right thing, eat the right food, don't say any lies before I can become righteous. No. With Jesus, we accept him for who he is. He comes to us, and we're righteous just by accepting him, repenting and accepting him into our heart. That's all we have to do. That's amazing, isn't it? We don't, you can just eat the same food that you've been eating. If it's good, great. If it's bad, don't do it. But you can. And you'll still be righteous because of Jesus. That is why he is such an awesome God, the one true God the one who loves his people above all things. That's amazing, isn't it? Which God that we know of loves people so much that he went on the cross and died for his people? You tell me a religion, I can tell you what it is, because I actually spent a lot of time studying many different religions out there. Jesus, that's why he is such an awesome God, the one true God, the one who loves his people. That's the one we want to follow. That's the one we want to live for. That's the one that we are living for. That's the one that we want to glorify with every fiber of our bodies here and everywhere. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's the God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That is the Jesus that we know and love. He has risen. Amen. Amen. That's, um, I cut out a lot, so uh, if you guys want to hear more,